I've told him I've killed someone. And I don't know what to do. I don't know how to live as this person with that label. Okay, guys, today I have in our second set of episodes on our By Faith series that is highlighting Hebrews chapter 11 as well as James 1, 1 through 6. I have a very special guest who I've wanted on the podcast for a long time and was waiting for a time when her story would match the mission and the episodic themes of what we're doing. And so today I welcome Jennifer Eichenhurst to the Wednesdays with Watson podcast. Jennifer, welcome to the Wednesdays with Watson podcast. Oh, thank you. And I love how the timing always lines up to what what God wants to do, you know? It's interesting. It's such a small world. And so before we get into your story, I will tell you that a friend of mine, I think, has reached out to you and you probably would consider a friend now who has a similar story to yours. I know what a blessing that you have been to her. And we're going to talk about your book and all of the things at the end that I know that was helpful to her and could be helpful to other people. But guys, we are here in this series and in this season, and I don't mean an actual episodic season of the podcast. I mean the timing, the season of life of the podcast. We are we are on a mission. We're on a mission to find out why some people keep the faith when they go through unimaginable lo- loss and trauma, why some people walk away why do some people find their faith for the first time when these things happen? And so we are going to be bringing you stories of real life people as we have always on this podcast. But this series in particular, if the Bible were still being written today, would our names be in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame? Would it say by faith, Amy, by faith, Jennifer, two of the most popular names on the planet, by the way, but would it say that? <laughs> would it say that? And so, Jennifer, we want to get into your story today and help the listeners know your story. And maybe your journey will be something that they can also find their way through too. And so before we start with uh, the thing that I want to talk to you about today, that the tragedy that occurred in your life, I'm asking everybody the same question because I think this is an important question. What does faith mean to you? I can't imagine life without it for one. And and I have a u- unique story that I wasn't raised in the faith, mm-hmm. that my faith was truly uniquely organic as a curious child um, where it wasn't mentioned and in the home and I wasn't prayed over and, you know, taught the Bible. We didn't own a Bible, things like that. But I literally every breath that I take, I can't imagine not having the Lord. I don't think I would have survived, to be honest with you. Out of the family niche that I, that God blessed me with, my mom, my dad, my sister, and yet um, I am, I am the Christian in that household, right, as a young baby believer, and I do not think that I would have survived the life that I've now lived for 43 years without that faith. And so my faith is difficult and I do want to start every interview to acknowledge that my story particularly could be triggering and it's hard and I'm asking for grace and mercy when I share. And I always want to caution anyone that my words should, I don't ever want to cause more harm. Thank you for that. This is my life. This is my story. And your story is ongoing. A lot of people that come on to the podcast are talking to me about things that happened in their past. There's been a line of demarcation in most people's lives, but yours and Lindsay Tozer, who I just mentioned. And so guys, today we are going to be talking about, uh, Jennifer, help me remember there's an acronym. Caddy, causing yes. accidental death or injury. Right. So so that is what we're going to be talking about today as that trigger warning. We're going to be talking about the cause of accidental death and injury, and that's part of Jennifer's story. And so with that being said, Jennifer, I just want you as the Holy Spirit leads you to tell us, let's start with that day. Um, you know, it was an ordinary day. And I think that's important to remember. There's nothing. It was actually a beautiful day in Texas. Icy blue sky, 
cool breeze, fall day. I mean, it was a gorgeous day. And I remember being grateful that day, waking up, you know, my husband was winning in football. Um, so there was, uh, you know, that excitement, he's a coach. So it was like kind of a big deal. We felt like we had a really good thing going. My daughter had recovered from brain surgery and our last scan had showed that when they removed the cyst, there were no cells left. So she was on recovery and there was so much to be grateful for. I had a new job that I had just started that year and I remember not feeling tired for the first time as a teacher in a long time. So I had taken on a new job where I was working from home and teaching. So getting to do what I love, but also had these dreams in my heart like, well, if I'm working from home, maybe I can keep the house a little cleaner. You know, maybe I can write that book that I've always wanted to write. Maybe I can finish that master's degree that I've always wanted to finish. And I will have just that, that other exterior weight that I'm at home and some things could take off my plate, like making sure my hair is done and, you know, all the stuff, the rush that can happen, right, in motherhood. And when I took that, that, that morning, it was a Tuesday, I remember being in that place just full of gratitude. And what I did not know is that by the end of the day, around 8 p.m., my day would change very quickly. And in the very literal sense, because the plans the entire day got changed 10 minutes before the accident happened. And what that means is that on October 4th, 2016, I pulled out of an intersection with my children in the car with my children in the car from a stop sign where I had yielded and a man approaching on a hill from my left was driving a motorcycle. His name was David and he was a father and a veteran and he served our country and he was devoted to his kids and he collided with my car because I didn't see him. I pulled out and he didn't have time to respond. And I can give you a lot of reasons why I have theories that happened, that my plans changed 10 minutes before the accident, and apparently his plans changed um, because he had turned around, and no one knows why he had turned around. He had left where he was, and he had turned around and gone back up the hill, and no one knows why. But whatever happened led to a single moment and David passed away as a result of me pulling into the intersection. And I'll always take responsibility that it was still me driving. It was still me responsible to make sure that there was nothing that would harm anyone when I pulled out. So I take full responsibility for the pain that, that my actions caused. Um, but I never intended for anyone to ever get hurt to put my children in jeopardy and David in jeopardy and, of course, cause pain to three children who lost their dad that day. And, but this is something that I live with. So mm -hmm. my faith did not start there, but my faith changed forever there. First of all, I only knew part of this story. And so if you're watching on YouTube, you see tears in both of our eyes. I'm so sorry. I Me am. Too. From somebody who doesn't have, and we talked about this a little bit in, before the interview. A lot of people that I have on, on my podcast are telling me stories that are over. And you and Lindsay are two that are telling me this life, this reality that you live every day. And I understand that in the sense that having complex post-traumatic stress disorder with a boatload of trauma, even on this very day, dealing with PTSD symptoms. But so I thank you for coming on here and telling the story, clearly still feeling the pain. What we want to know. So I'll give you an example of maybe a moment 
that, that, that I'd love you to share with our listeners. When I first left my abuser and was living in my apartment by myself, I remember standing near a closet and there were t-shirts in that closet from places that we had gone and it was too much. The grief just overwhelmed me like a tsunami. And I remember standing there clinging to the wall and said to God out loud in this apartment, I had moved from a house on the beach in St. Augustine to a 750 square foot apartment. And I stood there and I screamed at the top of my lungs and there's a Bible kind of in my purview. And I picked up my Bible and I threw it across the room. I was like, I don't even believe that you exist anymore because you won't stop hurting me. You won't stop others from hurting me. And I didn't stay there very long. Yeah. yeah. So did you have a moment like that? Or talk to us about the moment where, if you have a memory like that, where your faith changed because of this incident? I mean, I had several. I mean, to pray without ceasing. I, I've witnessed at that point in life, both of my daughters had had brain surgery where you you sign on the line that says you understand that this can result in death, paralyzation, um, changing in life. And you are going on the hope that you're making the decision for a better hope to come, like a better quality of life. Right? So you're, you're acting on faith. I never questioned God through those two moments ever. Never. Never wavered, never questioned, even when my daughter at one point was setting off alarms and woken in the middle of the night for her blood pressure dropping so low that they had to rush in because of she was in the ICU and and her uh, her anesthesia had was too much on her little body and her blood pressure was just dropping. So sirens are going off and. I just vomit because I just don't know what's happening and you're overwhelmed. Never questioned God. I went, I went to the restroom and I threw up and I sat there on a cold children's hospital bathroom and, and said, Lord, I trust you. But when they told me that David died, because I was so sure that God was going to heal him. I was so sure because he gave me 48 hours to pray without ceasing. So the accident happened on the 4th and he passed away on the 6th. But I was so certain, without a doubt, there was no room for doubt. And I used every Christian <laughs> phrase you can all imagine. All the cliches. All yeah. the cliches. All of the all the platitudes. I would not allow myself to rest on anything that complete supernatural healing for this man. And I was sure to bet my life on it. Because I had seen God heal. And when he didn't, I folded over. I folded over in grief unimaginable and anger to be honest that if I believed that God put me on this earth for purpose and a hope then the fact that I killed a man and orphaned three children never lines up right that never lines up that equation never makes sense logically in the natural. So then it feels like Job, where I question my very existence. Why did you even let me be born if I was going to do this? Which is the absolute worst thing that I can imagine as a empathetic, loving teacher who loves children to orphan them and there's nothing I can do to disappoint my family and cause shame and possibly go to prison now too because he had the right of way and that very much could have happened and I'm very grateful that I didn't you want to tell us a little bit about that journey 
Oh, um, that's like a whole entirety. You know, you can, you can say you have great big faith, but it's like signing on the line, putting your faith where it counts, right? To say, mm -hmm. I trust you, Lord, whether that's with my freedom or not, because innocent people go to prison all the time. And I did all the things that I knew to do. And sometimes that's not good enough for the world. Yeah. And, and, and I would have to accept and surrender. So that was like a whole, there are just layers of faith, like the faith that I, I would survive my own suicidal ideation and depression. Layers of faith that my marriage would survive. Did it? It did. Yay. It did. Yeah, it was 15 years when it happened and we just celebrated 22. Yeah. I got chills. Congratulations. That's that's a feat in and of itself to have gone through something like that and and, and your marriage survived. What a gift and miracle that is. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Well, yeah. but, but all of it is. Like yeah. the fact that I'm without anxiety meds and able to function. I was came out of that depression that I never attempted something that I had such a strong pull on that I crawled out of the pit. All of these things are miracles to me. They are. You need the to hear from somebody else. My my counselor says something, and, and he literally says it every single time we meet. It's his favorite thing to say. And it's about healing. Mm. And he talks about how, and this is this is the phrase that he uses for me, you shouldn't be able to do that. Jennifer, you shouldn't be able to be on this podcast. You shouldn't be able to have written a book. You shouldn't have stayed married. Your children should be messed up. There should be a number of things because this is unimaginable. I do want to say something, and I say this on so many podcast episodes, and and I and I just want you to hear me just in case in this moment, because some things have happened in the last couple of days even that has brought this back to in, in the top of your mind. But shame says that we are the mistake, not that we made a mistake. Mm. Don't ever let that wash over you. I need to write that down. Yeah. Shame. <laughs> I need to print it. That's right. And I'll remind you. Shame Thank says you. we sh shame wants us to think that we are a mistake, not that we made a mistake. Yeah. And I love what you said that there's layers, right? In some cases, I I know you probably like me. One of the layers of faith is just you open your eyes, you're like, okay, I'm still here, much yeah. to my chagrin. And so I'm going to have faith to put the first foot on the floor. And then I'm going to put the other foot on the floor. And I might brush my teeth, but probably not. Yeah. Let's get real. Yeah. What's the point? What's the <laughs> when point? you're this bad. Yeah. That most basic layer of faith is to get up, not hang out in dark rooms, and to take one step at a time. Do you have, so So you got angry, which is something common I'm hearing in these stories. And interesting because I never did get angry at God. He and I are a little bit talking about some things right now as it, as it pertains to trust and provision and things like that. But I never got angry at him for some reason. I don't know. I don't know if it's my makeup or what it was. Or if the trauma had happened so much that I just felt, I, I defaulted to I'm the problem. It's not God. It's me. But yeah, I was mad. I was, I was mad at, I was mad at myself. I hated myself and I was mad that he would make me to a fault that I couldn't see beyond that tree or hear that motorcycle coming up the hill because he's my creator and he, he ordains my steps and he knew that that was going to happen. It wasn't a surprise to him. And that made me so mad. So even though I was calling on to him and crying out to him, which is good, and I was directing those questions, those really hard questions, they were still going to the right source. Right. He knows. You don't even need to say him. He knows. Right? Yeah. I love that you are being as honest as you are in terms of I was angry. I call it, you know... I despise Christian cliches and platitudes. I call it, you got a problem. I got a Bible verse. I, I, although everybody that knows me knows that I stand on the absolute authority of scripture. 
but I don't like to throw it at people as a Bible band-aid. Like we hate it, but we love it and we live by it. And it pops in my brain and I'm okay with it because I know that behind that cliche or behind that Bible verse is truth, but still I despise it in times of, of, of darkness. And so, so I'm just kind of envisioning your life. You have children, you had already had some, some trauma that I didn't know about with your two daughters. And I hope that they're okay before all of this happened. So you trusted him. You signed on the line. I love that analogy. I just close my eyes and think, will I sign on the line of faith? You know, I will walk by faith even when I cannot see. By faith, Amy, by faith, Jennifer, will we sign on the line? And so you sign on the line for your children like they could die from the surgery. And you sign on the line and you have the faith in God and you trust him. But then our enemy wants to indict you and make you think that you are the mistake, not that you made a mistake. And then you go, then you spiral. Can you think of the time when you're like, okay, God, it's yours? It took months. Um, I was, I mean, I had my, probably my second nervous, like clinical nervous breakdown. A couple days later, it was either the day he, I found word that he passed away or the next day. And I, I went to see a counselor for the first time and I'll tell you, I don't remember most of the session. Not uncommon. Yeah. I literally melted to the floor. I remember reenacting. I, I went from the couch to the floor. I don't even remember how I got on the ground. And I looked at my counselor, Dr. Knox, looking to his eyes, hoping that he could just give me the answers. And we both knew that we couldn't that it's unknown territory going forward. And that part was like a total meltdown. The surrender came months later. It was actually the day before the grand jury. And I knew, you know, when you have that tugging on the heart where the Lord knows your heart, but he wants you to confess it. And it was kind of like, I knew, I kind of felt it. I felt his presence. I felt him, what he was urging me to say and do. And I felt it and I was keeping it just on that cuff because it's like either at this point, I'm so fragile. It's either completely disconnected or a blubbering mess. There was no in between. So it was like, I, I was like, I hear you. I know what you want. But I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't right now. Love it. I love it. Just trying to go day by day. But it was the day before the grand jury, and I had this moment of, this is it. Like tomorrow, I find out my fate. Right. And even though I didn't ever speak this out loud, I could not imagine my life going to prison. In my mind, I had thought that is the worst thing that, you know, I saw my uncle go to prison for a a drug issue that he could never kick, but he loves Jesus. Mm. So I knew just how much this would hurt my family. And I, my 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 parents my children definitely felt like it would destroy my marriage like if there was any hope it certainly wasn't going to be found in prison and right. i have no control over that um i know that to be false even now like cuz i've met people who are like me who've had to go to prison and god does the miraculous even from there but i still couldn't imagine and it was the day before the grand jury And I was like, Lord, I did all the things that I I thought I was supposed to do. And yet the the community may still want revenge. You know, that's very real. The flesh is very real. Somebody wants someone to pay. They want an ounce of flesh. Yeah. And, and, And in my mind, I do too. Because I didn't know if maybe I fulfill a sentence, maybe that would make this feel a little lighter, the punishment. Maybe that would be the answer because at that point you still, every breath was a chore. The weight and the shame was so heavy. 
but I'm sitting in my car and it's the day before and I know he wants me to surrender and he wants me to talk to him. And I have this moment in my car. I'm about to go into the house and I'm sitting in solitude in the quiet of the car. And I just say, I know what you want me to say. I'm talking to God. And I was like, and I don't want to say it, but you know, I mean it, but I don't want to say it. And I just finally said, fine. You want me to tell you that I love you no matter what. I love you today and I'm going to love you tomorrow no matter what, even if I don't understand what that means. I, if Even if I don't understand what charges mean that the world sees me as a killer, that I'm going to love you. And then I surrender and I'm going to serve you here or I'm going to serve you there. And that's what you want me to say. You don't, and I was just mad. <laughs> just talking. Did you, yell it? Did you yell it out? Yeah. There was some yelling. It. There may have been a cuss word. I, I don't know. I definitely know I hit the steering <laughs> wheel, <laughs> you know, and uh, not, not any bad cuss words, just the D word maybe. Right. Um, I just was like, okay. And it was weird. It was that day that I really feel like I was like no longer a mess. I walked in, presented myself to my family like I would have almost the day going into surgery with the girls, almost like a soldier. Okay, We're, we are trusting the Lord. You know, the day before your child has brain surgery, you've prepared all these things. You have medicines with brain surgery in our situation. I had to, we had to report to the hospital at like 4 a.m. with a three-year-old. And you're heading into that unknown like a champ. Sure. And when I had that little mini meltdown and surrender to the Lord, I got out of that car. I remember looking at my garage and I headed into that door where my family was on the other side. And I kind of felt a little bit like that. Like, okay, I know what I'm going to wear tomorrow. The, cha- the prayer chain has been notified. They're going to pray and stand with us. And I'm going to surrender no matter what. The kids all have somewhere to go in case Chris has to bail me out of jail. Um, we have a lawyer in place as a plan. We have all the paperwork ready, you know, and I'm looking at my husband and it was like, I was ready to just, I don't know. It it felt like, yeah. yeah. And it wasn't a war against the family. Right. And it wasn't a war against God. It was. It was. It was your reality. Yeah. It was a battle against I feel like the enemy of my soul. Sure. Thousand percent. Right. Because if I thought that that would be the end of me, then I was ready to prepare to fight for me Mm. that next day. And I was given grace and mercy I don't deserve. And I realized no matter what, it wouldn't have been the end of me. And, And my works became... Like that, that verse that says that you have no works. There is nothing that you can do. As filthy rags. I think that scripture says. Yeah. You bring yeah. it to me as filthy rags. Yeah. There is literally nothing that I can do to make this better or make it go away. But God can. And his work and the miracle that he came and lived the sinless life. And that he died this his birth and his death in the miraculous way that he did the work. There's nothing that I can do at all. It is quite remarkable as people walk through their own dark night of the soul, which is what you've explained to us. It's so fascinating to me because I I don't know. I just literally don't know how people do it without him. Mm-mm. Like I've had those same like that time I told you I'm standing by a closet and I see my Bible and I literally throw it across the room. I still have it. And it's still kind of crungled and crinked because I threw it hard. (laughs) So I guess I, I guess I was mad. I said earlier, I wasn't angry. I guess I was mad. Just looked different. But what I know 
is that during those times of my standoff with God, when I wouldn't talk to him, and it sounds like you had one of those too, there was no peace. There was nothing but turmoil, nothing but pain, nothing but conflict, nothing but guilt, nothing but shame, nothing but bad stuff. I was going to hurt no matter what. For me, I was like hurt that he allowed me to hurt and I was going to hurt with or without him and I'd rather hurt with him. You know, I literally was going to hurt no matter what. Everything was confusing. And the only thing that I knew to be true was, was him. I could still be angry with him, but I knew he loved me enough. I knew that he could take all my, my, pettiness of this or that sin it was still he's he's not he's not done with me just because I'm like how in the world would you let this happen you know and and someone reminded me that was really a lifeline an elder and um someone that I respect her name is Sandy she picks my chin up and looks me in my eyes and I know that I've been telling the Lord all these secret thoughts that no one knows, not even the therapist, because I was too afraid to tell him, too ashamed to tell him. You're talking about suicidal ideations in this regard. Yeah, yeah. Just wanting to sleep past the pain, you know, because you can't sleep. You have nightmares and hallucinations and you long for sleep, but you're afraid of sleep. And am I going to wake up from sleep? So like sleep is torturous for people like me, you know. All trauma survivors. Right. The worst time. It's the worst time of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you a question. And my listeners now know how much I love this song. But Corey Asbury just came out with this song. Not just. I guess it's been a few months now called Kind. Mm. And he opens. I'm going to try to do the lyrics by memory. Sometimes babies die. Sometimes relapse turns to relapse. And we're left just asking why. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I still wonder if he's real. Mm. And if he is. How does he choose who he does and doesn't heal? Yeah. And on that dark day when I saw my Savior on that cross in the darkest day of history, I realized that's what kindness costs. Hmm. Jennifer, was God kind to you in your he healing? Was. Is he kind to you? So kind. The, the first thing that was actually a line of hope. I, I was just hurting. So I was praying all the time. Um, I was fasting sort of because I just didn't eat. Right. Mm. <laughs> not, not the good kind of fasting, just, you know, barely surviving. And I find it was about six weeks and I, and I realized, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to go to the doctor and they'll just give me drugs. I, I want something for my mood and maybe to help me sleep. Just give me a pill. And so I was like, Dr. Brad's going to help me. You know, he's going to help me. He's going to get me all the things that I need so I can function. And of course, God did not do that. <laughs> I have this um, this sort of meltdown and I have all these questions for him and I forget all the questions and I just unload on this doctor who has literally watched me labor, but he knows me and he knows, you know, my heart and see me as a mother and he can recognize that I'm a shell of that person, but he knows I'm hurting. And he looks at me and he says, Jennifer, you are grieving and it had never dawned on me that that's what I was experiencing was deep, crushing grief, you know. So you could label it. Label it. That, that had to give you some hope a little it bit. It did. And you know what's remarkable? I went in there for pills and literally thinking I am broken, unable to be used by God. That was the mindset going in. And I'm talking to him and after I finished talking and after the calm had had cut restored from me just saying what had happened over the last six weeks, he looks at me and he says, you're grieving. And then he says, I'm about to tell you something I've never shared with really anyone but my wife. 
And the nurse, his nurse, who's literally probably worked there at least 15 years, she kind of looks at him and I kind of look at him and we're like, what's he about to say? I'm literally on the edge of my seat right now. (laughs) And he looks at me and he says, for as long as I've had my driver's license, I have been haunted by a nightmare that I'm driving and a child runs in front of my car and I'm unable to save them. He said so much so, it's one of the reasons I went to med school because I wanted to be prepared. If that ever happened, I would know what to do. So you didn't feel as alone in that moment? No. And I looked into his eyes and something wanted to fight. And I said, can I pray with you? Because I never want you to experience this. And I prayed with my doctor. I grabbed his hand. I grabbed my nurse's hand. And we prayed that the hands that are his were meant to heal and not to harm. And that God would continue to have a hedge of protection over his life. And that that anything that the enemy had planned would be bound and broken and to never come to be in Jesus' name. Wow. What did he say? He had tears in his eyes. Now, I haven't followed up with him because we ended up moving. But, you know, I mean, I'm already as vulnerable as can be. I've already just shared with him that I'm going crazy. You know, I've told him I've killed someone. And I don't know what to do. I don't know how to live as this person with that label. And then I get to have this moment with him. And I said, you know, I'm going to believe that God, God put that on your heart because he did want you to know how to help someone. And he has made you more cautious. And he said, you know, you're right. I've always, when I get into a parking lot or a street, I am hyper aware every time now. But because of this fear, he lived his life a different way, very cautious all the time. And he had never shared anybody except for his wife. Yeah, that's crazy. And you were there for such a time as that. And what I love about that story is that faith is a little bit like gravity. It cannot be held down. Mm -mm. And if you have had a true transformation where you've accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. And what does that mean to the listener out there? What does that mean? That means that you admit that you are a sinner and that he is preeminent. He is the God of the universe. He is the one that can walk us through things like Jennifer has gone through and like I have gone through. And it's the reason why Corey Asbury can say, and on that darkest day in history, when I saw my savior die, I thought to myself, that's what kindness costs because the reality is guys, we can say all we want. How can a loving God fill in the blank? Well, here's what I will say. How can a loving God send us to heaven? We get to go to heaven because he sent a baby born to die to this earth for us that cannot be squelched in a doctor's office and in the most random circumstances, your faith showed up Yes, and prayed with a doctor. That is so amazing. And I went in saying, I'm broken. I can never be used by God. What more is my life? And in that moment, God squished that lie because I was able to pray for this man in an authentic, genuine way. And I felt the warmth of the Holy Spirit in my hands. And the enemy of your soul lost that day. He lost that day. Yeah. And, and I know that there are probably times still, it's happened several years ago, yeah. and it still evokes such pain. And I'm, and I appreciate you. And, and I will be praying for you today because I know this is after this interview is going to be hard. If Jennifer can somehow find a way through to saying to God, I know what you want me to say. I want you to say, I love you and then I trust you. Yeah. I, I want to say that out loud to God right now for myself, because guess who is just shriveling when we say that? I love you and I trust you. None of this makes sense. None of it makes sense. None of it 
Your story doesn't make sense. My story doesn't make sense. You know what else doesn't make sense? Is our healing. Even in my fractured faith, and I do, on this moment in 2023, have a fractured faith myself. Because I believe that God can send me to heaven, but I have a hard time trusting him with earthly things. So you, Jennifer, prayed with your doctor, Mm -hmm. wondered if he would ever use you again, if God would ever use you, if your life mattered, if your pain mattered. And suddenly, I see on Facebook one day that you've published a book. I'm like, okay, now, this is awesome. (laughs) And that book is called Left Turn Life Reimagined. And you have it paired with a journal. Take two to three minutes and tell the listener about the genesis of that book, the hope of that book, and we will tell them where they can find it. Yeah. I never, I always wanted to write a book, but I really thought it would always be a love story, a fictional love story, a novel, novel, you know, like all the greats or even a series like Anna Green Gables. I teach math, but I love to read and I love to write writing poems. So it was always a dream to write in my heart from a little girl. Never would I have thought that my book would be this subject, a memoir about the most painful day of my life, but I could not shake it. The podcast Accidental Hope actually came first. And, you know, it was just, I I felt like part of my healing would be to share and help others. And I realized there were no resources, literally Mm -hmm. zero, a black hole of an abyss of this topic, even though every 18 minutes in the U.S. there is an accidental killing. Wow. And most of the people, if you ever see a celebrity that has an accident that kills someone, what happens to them? They disappear. What's the one right now in that movie set? Um, Alec Alec Baldwin. Baldwin. Well, that's how Mm -hmm. I ended up on Red Table Talk. So I'll find that episode and link it. So God is using you. He is using you with that book. My life verse, Jennifer's Philippians one twelve, where Paul says, you know, and, and of course, Paul's my favorite, probably my favorite Bible character. We know what Paul has been through. He's been in prison. He has been beaten. He beat Christians. He's a very interesting life. But Paul says in Philippians one twelve, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have really happened to further the gospel. Yes. That's what they're doing, Jennifer. Yes. And mine That's is Second Corinthians. Doing. Yes. Where he says yes. we are ambassadors of Christ. Right. We right. are to be ambassadors of Christ. And you are an ambassador of Hope. what it means to be in perpetual grieving. Yes. Long You're an ambassador of what it means to have to surrender that guilt and that shame to the one who died for you, even if you meant to hit that, that young man, which you didn't. It is under the blood of Jesus. Right. And so you wrote the book. Tell us about the little companion journal with it. Yeah. So the book was, it started as a journal and letters to David. So one of my healing steps was, because you get no closure in this. Right. So I could write letters to God and journal my prayers. I could write, which would inevitably sometimes just leak into crying to David too and apologizing. Yeah. Right. And and then it would leak into and blur into praying for his kids. Right. Yeah. Because I just journaled when I couldn't sleep. And that's how the book started. And then when I realized there was no one that talks about this, my my therapist said, here's your torch then, Jennifer. It's It's right in front of you. And I took that torch and I said to the last breath in me. I will tell of your goodness and your faithfulness and what you did and what you brought me through. And that even though I am guilty and ashamed, you love me and you want life for me. And it's not just because of me. You want that for everyone. And I could tell of the miracles. And so I wrote the book. I never intended to write the book. I never intended to go on a national television. I literally just said, yes, Lord. Wherever you send me, I will go. And I I have to tell people that David was a good and innocent man because he was a devoted father. And then I have to share about the most painful, shameful day of my life where I'm the villain of the story. And it never feels good. 
But when, when Lindsay responds. I love that girl. Lindsay's episode is in season two. I um, knew that she was a caddy before she even told her story. I can't remember what it was. It was either like a, a post that you wrote to advertise that, that episode. But as soon as I saw it or I felt it, I just knew I was going to know her story because we connect these caddies across the world, different religions, men and women, different ages. We can finish each other's thoughts because we have this condition of moral injury, which is a very unresearched, uh, it's separate than PTSD. It's separate than complex PTSD. Moral injury is that of the soul and feeling that you are no longer worthy to live. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I have this community that I would have never known about because we are Mm. outcasts of the world, but I wrote the book totally nervous. It's very raw. It's very real. It is my story as I know it. And it, it can hurt other people because I am sharing from a perspective that is not normally talked about. Right. And in no way, when I share my story, do I want to shadow or overshadow the lives of children who lost their dad or make light of this very tragic situation. It was just an underrepresented story. Yeah, well, it's an underrepresented community for sure. And my listeners know how important, well, and the value of community. We have three C's on this podcast, church, counseling, and community. Yes. And and of course, highlighting the star of the story, who is Jesus. And so what I, what is so encouraging to me on this day in December about this conversation is as we mentioned before, a lot of people have demarcation lines and they don't have to live with their trauma like you and Lindsay and other people who are part of the caddy, again, cause of accidental death and injury. And I'll also put some information about that in the show, in the show notes, as well as Jennifer's podcast, Accidental Hope. I put a link in there. If you're on YouTube, she is holding that up now. So this is the journal called Journey to Hope Again, an interactive journal. Because people kept asking, what what did you do? What were the steps you took? And God did not give me a release to do this self-help book. But so what I did was make a journal and I give permission that you can go in any order that you want to in this journal. And you can write your own prompts or use the prompts or not use the prompts. So there's empty pages and prompts, but it's like a little navigation, grief, guilt, shame, and eventually hope. So it's like a map. So you take the map because you're on this journey to healing and Mm -hmm. you can do it in any, and you can do it over and over again, depending on what trauma, because traumas continue to happen. If you're not on YouTube and you're listening to it on audio, this episode is worth looking at because you can see this book. Well, we are going to give away at least a a copy of both the book and the journal. If you are interested in receiving a copy of this book, I'll just randomly choose somebody. Just DM me through my Instagram. One of the first links you will see in the show notes is follow on Instagram. Just hit that button. Or if you're already following me on Instagram, send me a message. I would love to send both of those books that Jennifer has written to you. Jennifer, as we close the podcast, this is the By Faith series in Hebrews chapter 11. We know by faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the peoples. If we were to write that about you today, fill in the blank for me. By faith, Jennifer. Trust God with my story. Don't know that it gets any better than that. So thank you for being here today. I adore you. I want you to go take care of yourself after you get off of this interview. God is so faithful an ever-present help in trouble. And we don't always have to understand. But your faith is like gravity. It would not be held down. And one day, when you stand before Jesus, He isn't going to say, hey, remember that left turn? He's going to say, hey, remember that day in the car? When you said, I trust you. I love you. Well done good and faithful guys we'll be back in two weeks with another story 
you know I don't leave a microphone without saying this, and this has been an emotional one, but I declare it over you, Jennifer, and I declare it over my listeners, because it's true, and your enemy doesn't want you to know it. But regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you've been through, regardless of what's been done to you, you are seen, you are known, you are heard, you are loved, and you are valued. And for this By Faith series, By Faith Jennifer, trust him with her story. Will you do the same? We would love to introduce you to the star of the story. Again, contact me through Instagram. I'll provide Jennifer's information. You're under the sound of our voices. We would love to introduce you to Jesus if you don't know how to do it. So just contact us. Thanks for being here for us today, Jennifer. Guys, we'll be back in two weeks. Save me.